0: This is Jim Harmer, and you're listening to the Improved Photography Podcast. Support for today's show comes from Squarespace, the company that makes my photography portfolio. With beautiful templates created by world-class designers... Your project on Squarespace will look perfect right from the very, very beginning in just a few clicks. Whether you want to create a photography portfolio, a business page, or a blog to share your ideas, Squarespace is a great place to make your passion project a reality. And you have 24-7 customer support behind you if you need any help. Think it, dream it, make it with Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, Use offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your per, your first purchase of a website or domain. Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast. I am your host, Jim Harmer, and today I am alone. Uh, we have not done very many solo shows in, you know, over whatever who knows how many episodes we have now, like 275, something like that. Um, but over the course of several years, I almost always have a guess. But today, I just, I've just i been doing a lot of different uh, projects in my own photography, and I just kind of want to share some lessons learned and things I've been trying over the last week. So we're going to talk in this, this first half a lot about time-lapse. As you know, I've been talking about time-lapse a lot because it's really fun. And the, the results are just awesome. So um, we're going to talk about time lapse, or at least the, the results should be awesome. But I had some some learning experiences this week, so I want to share some of those with you this week. Um, we're also going to talk a little bit about computational photography and how it's already impacting a lot of, of what we are doing, especially with the, the iPhone 10 launch this week. I know, you know, we're all doing photography with more uh, capable cameras than the iPhone, but there were some interesting things that I think really will impact the the future of photography over the next few years. And also, I spent $100 on a mouse, <laughs> on a computer mouse. I spent $100. It was the most ridiculous purchase of my life. But uh, I do have some things to share about it and, and how it has impacted my photo editing. So let's get started uh, talking about time-lapse. So as you know, on an episode of Tripod, uh, I, guess about a, uh, I guess it's been a month and a half ago, uh, we had Gunter from LR Time-lapse. Uh, it's specialized software, it's kind of expensive software for processing a time lapse that you've taken uh, using kind of Lightroom in the workflow. And so I, I've been, I bought the software then. I hadn't bought it as I mentioned in the podcast before I talked to him. I kind of wanted to learn more about how it works. I was totally convinced I bought the software and now I've been using it for a couple weeks and I kind of want to give my quicker view of how it's worked for me. And, uh, and just some behind the scenes there and also the rhino slider, kind of the same thing. All right. So I went out this week to take a time-lapse. I looked at, I woke up too early. I don't know even know why, but I woke up at like four thirty in the morning and I was just awake. And so I opened on my phone. I have the, what is it called? Is it radar scan? I always forget what it's called um, I'm going to look it up here while we're talking. I think radar scan, um, radar scope. And I saw that the clouds were kind of spotty all around, uh, around the Valley where I am. So I thought, perfect. That's what I want to see. You know, I want to see some clouds, but I don't want it to be just a, you know, fully covered and totally overcast or we don't get any light. So I thought, okay, good chance. We're going to have a, a sunrise with some color in it in a couple hours. So I rolled out of bed, grabbed my all my Rhino slider and all the gear, and and head out to to take the pictures. I will say that using a a slider for time lapse like this. Is not really the kind of thing you want to just like. Oh, I'm gonna whip out my slider from my camera bag and take a quick time lapse. No, it's like an involved thing. Like it, you've got to bring a lot of gear. It takes time to set up. Like it's a serious commitment if you're gonna do a time lapse. Um, so, so anyway, I brought all the gear. Like filled my back seat. Uh, took took off to go take some uh, to take the time lapse. Now. There wasn't a whole lot of wind, but I guess that like a, you know, 25 minute uh, time lapse would be enough. And I think that was my first mistake was it was a little bit too short. After I looked at the video, you know, I was taking enough pictures to make a 10 minute uh, time lapse. So, you know, if you're going to play your video back, at 30 frames a second, which is pretty common, you know, if you're just going to put this on YouTube or something, you know, pretty common to do 30 frames per second. So how many pictures do you need to do to do a 10 second time lapse? Well, it's just 10 times 30. You need to take 300 pictures and you're going to get a 10 second time lapse. And for me, a 10 second time lapse is usually pretty good because it's going to be in a in a larger composite of other time lapses and things like that. So, you know, 10 seconds is all right for a time lapse. So. So I I set up my camera to take, uh, actually, I was going to take about 350 pictures, just to have a little extra margin. And the problem in the end with that was, yes, it was enough to make a 10-second time lapse, but the clouds just weren't moving very quickly. And so 10 seconds elapsed, but the clouds didn't really move as much. And so I wished I had recorded a much longer time lapse, maybe on the order of an hour, because then I could have shown more passage of time. You know, the clouds would be moving a little bit at a faster clip. It's rare when I take a time lapse that I say, ooh, I didn't need to go that long. I could have gone shorter. I'm going to cut this. Almost every time it's the opposite, where I just got, you know, waiting there. You're just sitting there for 20 minutes. I'm usually listening to podcasts or audiobooks while I'm waiting for my time lapse to go. Uh, So I made the mistake yet again of going a little bit too short. So that was lesson learned number one is don't just go by the number of pictures you need. Go by how much movement you need in the scene and then just make sure as a minimum that you've taken enough pictures in that time. So the other major problem that I made, another major problem that kind of ruined this time lapse is there were birds flying around and I didn't really think anything of it. It wasn't like an infestation, you know, it didn't look like a 1950s horror movie uh, infestation kind of birds. It was just, you know, a few random birds flew through the scene and I didn't really even think anything of it while I was recording the time lapse. But when I looked at the time-lapse after, it looks crazy. It kind of looks like an old-time movie or something, you know, with the old crackles and spots appearing up all over the screen because the birds would just get captured in one frame and then they'd be out. And so it just looked like random spots going crazy all over the frame. And I had not thought about that at all, but it really did kind of ruin the time-lapse. Even if I had got everything else right, the random spots all over in the frame... Uh, were kind of a lot. Now, I could, of course, go through each of those frames that had a bird in it, and I could clone them out. That would be a lot of work, though. <laughs> it would it would be a serious commitment to this time-lapse. Um, so that's something I'm going to watch for as I'm taking time-lapses in the future, making sure little birds don't get in and ruin the time lapse i hadn't hadn't really considered what an impact that would have uh, so finding a spot without too many birds is something i'm going to to start looking for and then the other major mistake i ruined this time lapse three different ways <laughs> the other major mistake that i made was so it was dark when I no well it wasn't, it wasn't dark when I was starting but it was it was still early it was early sunrise when I got out there and I started shooting and. I kept watching the exposure meter and just as it started to get a little bright, I would just click down the exposure, just one notch, you know, uh, just, you know, one third of a stop and uh, to get the exposure just right. And I tried to make sure that was smooth, you know, don't make too many adjustments at once. I would just click one thing down and then I'd try not to make any other adjustment for five minutes, click one more thing. And then we can smooth that out with LR time lapse. So, uh, so the exposures actually turned out great, I did a good job doing that. However, I did find that even the slight touching of the camera, you could see it in the time lapse. So I was using a cheap ball head on this. I didn't want to remove my normal good ball head from my tripod, and this is on the, on a slider, but you need to put a, a ball head on the slider. And so I just used kind of a cheapo one, one I had for, uh, that I used for just kind of simple little video projects um, and it, it didn't work, uh, just the, I could tell every time I had touched the camera, there was just a fidget in the, in the time-lapse, you know, it needs to be absolutely perfectly still. So, I'm not exactly sure, if anybody has any ideas on this, I'd love to see, kind of hear what workarounds you have for this. One, I can just use a better ball head, and I think that will obviously help, um, but I really need a way to, to change the camera settings wirelessly. So, I could do this with the Sony Play Memories app. However, um, the time-lapse app on on Sony, I don't love at all. And so, I was just using a a separate cable release for the camera. You know, just plugged in a separate cable, cable release. And that, uh, when that was going and setting the the timers up and stuff, it, you know, setting the interval timer up, it wouldn't let me change the exposure uh, while it was activated. And I'm not totally sure why that was, um, but I, I couldn't change the exposure. I'd have to stop the interval timer, go into manual, change the exposure, and then restart the interval timer uh, on, the, on the cable release. And so... I am not totally sure how I'm going to fix this. I thought about you you know doing this wirelessly with the play memories app. I don't know if I can change it uh, that way, but some way uh, somehow I need a way to change the exposure. Without actually touching the camera controls while the exposure uh, while the time lapse is recording, uh, because I found any touching at all uh, was enough. I mean, just the little scroll of the wheel, it didn't work. But also, I need to try a more solid ball head and see if that that can do the job as well. So those were my three problems. Uh, it it kind of ruined the time lapse. It wasn't a keeper at all, uh, which was a little bit of a shame because the conditions were really cool. Um, but I made three mistakes, not long enough, birds flying around and touching the camera did not work. But I I still wanted to see how it was going to look and try out LR time-lapse a little bit more. So I started LR time-lapse and I've got to say overall, I was kind of disappointed with the software. Um, It's extremely capable software, but it it's the kind of software that's made by a developer and not designed by a designer first. Uh, you know, it's functionality first and not user experience first. Um, and uh, I've got to say, I, it really was very frustrating to use. Um, so I opened, the soft, opened Lightroom and what I had imagined from, the, from talking with Gunter and, and understanding a little bit about it, I had thought more of the workflow was in Lightroom. But no, most of the workflow is in the standalone app and their ex- LR time-lapse really is set up to work uh, where all of the photos for your time-lapse are in one folder and lr time lapse would like to do the import from the sd card that's a real bummer that really hurts my normal workflow to import with photomechanic or lightroom and then, uh, you know, I was hoping in Lightroom as a plugin, I could just kind of do what things I needed to do for the time-lapse. And that's not really the case. Really, it wants to take over as a standalone, uh, pl- standalone program to do your time-lapse. And o- it only borrows Lightroom's uh, photo editing functionality to do that. You know, it's processing the time lapse on its own. It's uh, it really is doing most of the of the heavy lifting in the software itself. That was a little bit unfortunate for me. Um, not the processing. I don't really care where that happens, but the workflow, especially the import, uh, that. Uh, I really don't love the way that that worked. That, that really makes a clunky workflow, especially because you know if I had gone out, I shoot one time-lapse on one SD card, I bring it in, and I edit it. That's not a big deal at all. But rarely will that be the case for me. Usually, I'm going out, I'm shooting all day, doing you know still photos, time-lapses, videos, all kinds of stuff. I want to bring it into Lightroom, and then I just want to select certain files that I'm going to create into a time-lapse. So this is the workflow that I move to to make it work. I do my normal import with Lightroom or Photo Mechanic. Uh, once all everything is in Lightroom, I I select the photos that I want to create into a time-lapse. I go show in Finder, show in Windows Explorer, and then I move all those files physically into a subfolder of the date that, that Lightroom has created. And then I add those photos back to Lightroom. You know, I move them outside of Lightroom, which we're never supposed to do. And then I just fix it, tell Lightroom where the photos are. And then I can finally import them into LR timelapse and move on from there. As soon as I realized that that was the workflow, I was really disappointed. That uh, that, that really, I think, throws a wrench in the gear of most people's uh, workflow that we have to kind of go through that way. Uh, It really makes it a lot harder and less less slick of an interface to use. Um, And then I started editing. You know, honestly, I had to watch four or five tutorials. I watched the tutorials they had on the website. It's still things weren't working for me. Buttons were grayed out and I didn't understand why. Uh, So I went to YouTube and I watched some more tutorials and I started to kind of get it. I really felt like I was fumbling a lot through the software to be able to process the time lapse. Um, So I, I really... I don't know. I, I'm kind of at the point now where it's like, okay, do I spend another three weeks really diving into this software and really just figure it out even though it's a little bit of a frustrating experience? Or should I move to something else and find something a little bit more user-friendly? Um, I don't know. I, I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to keep practicing and I'm going to try to learn the software. But I will say I, it, it was a lot clunkier than I, I would have hoped for the, for the workflow. But again, the functionality of LR time lapse is I mean just awesome. It's absolutely incredible what it can do. You can do some awesome time lapse work with it. So I do love the functionality. I just, uh, I am a little frustrated with the experience of using it. Okay. So that's LR time lapse processing. it. I did finally get it to go. Um, it did finally process. And because of the, mis- the three mistakes I had made, the, the time lapse didn't really work out, but it did look beautiful. You know, the, the quality, what it, what it produced in the end was, was really cool. All right, next is the Rhino Slider. So the Rhino Slider is a motorized slider. You put your camera on a head on this motorized thing and it shoots it along a... a, a series of, of two metal rails, two rods, uh, and it'll slowly move over the course of four feet. I bought a, a four foot rail set and a two foot rail set, and it'll slowly move your camera sideways along these rails over the course of 20 minutes or, or however long your, your time lapse is. So, uh, first of all, as I mentioned in the previous, uh, or an episode, two episodes ago, I guess, um, it really was very easy to use the Rhino slider. I'm totally happy with the interface and that part, uh, but you should know if you're interested in getting into this, it, it is more gear intensive than I, uh, than I think a lot of people would hope. You re- it's it's a- quite a setup. To do this, um, you know, you have your rails. In some cases, you can set the whole setup of rails in your camera uh, on the ground. Um, but you know, obviously, it's going to be very low to the ground. It has little feet that kind of prop the rods, the rails uh, up off the ground, but it doesn't have much clearance. And so, if it's at all, you know, bumpy or anything, the camera, the bottom of the motorized, uh, the motorized slider is going to drag on the ground, and obviously, that's not going to work. So you you really need to have this elevated somehow. So you'd put it on a tripod, especially if you don't want to be right on the ground to take the shot. So you can't, you, you can use one. If you have one solid tripod, you can use it with the two foot rails. It's going to be okay. The problem with the four foot rails is if you put one tripod in the middle to hold it, um, once the camera is, you know. Two and a half, two feet over to the side and all that weight of the motor and stuff, it's going to tip it over um, or or at least make it sag down to the right uh, or the left, depending on which side it's on. So um, you really need two tripods, two solid tripods. It's a heavy setup. To hold up the Rhino Slider, so this is a, a massive setup you've got to do to do your time lapse. You're talking about two solid tripods on either end. If we're gonna do the four foot rails, you could do one if you're doing doing just the short two foot rail, but two solid tripods. Then you got to have uh, you know a way to trigger your camera, um, and that's something I'm still figuring out if I can trigger it uh, with with the the Rhino Slider or if I need my separate uh, interval timer since the Sony doesn't have an analog uh, an analog uh, cable release you know it has it has more the the micro USB cable release kind of set up there and so I, I don't think it can trigger it itself so I need two tripods the Rhino slider with the motorized head and then um, the arc sl- arc uh, thing that twists the camera as you're going side to side and the the cable release this is a very complicated large setup and uh, and with the two tripods we're talking about you know bringing a, an extra bag just for tripods and stuff uh, it's a it's a complicated setup but the result is awesome i i mean it's a lot of work but you know that's kind of where photography is today like there are a lot of people that can take nice pictures, and if you want to do something truly unique that really captures attention, really is a you know amazing you know top of the industry kind of art, you know you got to go to a little bit more of a length uh, to to create some awesome stuff that people haven't seen before or don't normally see. And so I'm, you know, I am a little bit frustrated as I'm getting more and more into time-lapse um, by uh, just the, the complication and, and the, the amount of gear and technical uh, work that it takes But I really do think it's worth it because I mean the result is just so cool. Just to see the movement of the clouds, the movement of the Milky Way, the rotation of the stars, the how weeds are dancing in the wind. It's just it's something that you can't do with still photos. But it's still everything that I love about still photography. Uh, Just. Taken to another level. I, I just really really am enjoying it a lot. Um, I, I've really been enjoying getting more into the motion a little bit with the the landscape, uh, with the landscape skills and and uh, and place and everything like that. So that's uh, kind of some lessons I've learned with time lapse this week. Definitely made some mistakes. Definitely some things that I am going to want to change over time and improve upon but uh, but at least I'm I'm learning and I'm getting there well we're gonna we're after well after the break we are going to talk more about some computational photography I guess today's episode is a little bit more technical than what we normally do uh, but uh, but so just some interesting developments here so we're going to talk about computational photography and the dude out of the week right after this Support for today's show comes from Squarespace. If you're ready to launch a new business, you're ready to take your photography to the next level, you want to create a photography portfolio or sell your work on your website, Squarespace can make your passion project a reality. They have beautiful templates, so you really could just log on there. It's inexpensive to get started. Uh, You can get your own custom domain name. So if you want to be jimharmerphotography.com or whatever you want it to be, uh, you can get your custom domain name so you look professional. And then you just pick a template. You pick whatever template you think is going to work the best for your work. They have some that are specifically work well for photography and showcasing your work. And then really in just a few clicks, even if you're not uh, very technically minded, you can get your website up. They have analytics so you can see how many people are coming to your website, uh, all kinds of extensions, over 200 of them. Um, And with award-winning 24-7 customer support, you'll never be up a creek and not sure how to get out of it. Make your passion project a reality with Squarespace. Head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code IMPROVE to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com, offer code IMPROVE. Support for today's show comes from Casper, Casper is an obsessively engineered mattress at a shockingly fair price. Supportive memory foams create an award-winning sleep surface with just the right amount of sink and bounce to it. Try Casper for 100 nights, risk-free, in your own home. If you don't love it, they'll pick it up and refund you everything. Casper understands the importance of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit, especially considering you're going to spend a third of your life on it. I was recommended Casper for my brother-in-law, and it really has been a great mattress since we bought one a couple years ago. You get free shipping and returns to the U.S. and Canada, and with over 20,000 reviews and an average of 4.8 stars, it's quickly becoming the internet's favorite mattress. Get $50 toward any mattress purchase by visiting Casper.com/improve and using offer offer code improve. Terms and conditions apply. All right, this week, uh, unless you were hiding under a rock, you you heard about the iPhone 10 from the world's largest company uh, was announced. I don't think I'm gonna be buying an iPhone 10 or the iPhone 8 or 8 plus. I have an iPhone 7 plus and the iPhone 8 uh, just didn't seem to be much of a much of an improvement. you know it it's a very minor change. Uh, but the iPhone 10 looks like it's a major change to how the iPhone works. Uh, but you know my iPhone Seven Plus works just fine. Uh, I I just don't see myself dropping a thousand dollars just to have the latest and greatest phone. Eh, no, not I don't think I'm gonna do that. <laughs> and and I always buy the buy the phone outright because if every time I work out the math, it's cheaper just to buy the phone outright. Uh, sometimes they almost get me at the camera store, but then I say, wait a minute, let's look at all the fees and everything, and it almost always is you save money by just buying the phone outright. So I'll, I'll make the long-term decision. I'd rather just buy it outright. So I, I don't think I'm going to be buying it for that reason. Just $1,000 for that? I don't think so. I You could do a lot of cool stuff with $1,000. I could buy camera gear for that. <laughs> uh, but I was surprised. I think a lot of people in the photography industry were surprised that there were um, pretty significant updates to the cameras on, on both the iPhone 8 Plus and and the iPhone 10 uh, I didn't expect to see that usually what Apple does is on 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 one year they'll announce a, you know iPhone 6 and then the next year they'll do the 6S and the S versions are where they do the the camera updates. So I was surprised being that this is a, a non-S update uh, that we saw camera improvements here. I, I didn't think we would see that. Um, and that's really how this impacts the, the photography part. There were some interesting changes. So I saw... Uh, um, an article from a former, app for from a former Google executive that since moved on to a different company, and he had just mentioned that he feels that that the iPhone is really going to take over uh, in the camera market uh, because it's it's going to dominate Android cameras. And at first, I didn't understand that argument, especially because we've seen some really cool things from Android cameras much more than we have from the iPhone over the last several years. You know, the iPhone has a very a solid, reliable camera, uh, but not a whole lot of frills and gimmicks and and things that uh, that some of the other companies are doing. That some of them were kind of cool with larger sensor sizes and stuff, um, but the iPhone seems to just kind of stay on one one track with with its development of their camera technology. And you know, if you compare it side to side, it really just depends on what you're looking for. If the iPhone cameras are better or the, some of the things that Android cameras are doing. But with this update, I started to understand that guy's, uh, that guy's argument, and it has to do with computational photography. And the reason I wanted to bring this up is it's really not just a cell phone thing at all, uh, and it will uh, dramatically impact... Just photography in general over the next several years. So uh, the argument from this executive was because Apple has an integrated system, you know, they make all of their uh, all of their phones, whereas Google's Android, you know, lots of different makers make their their devices, and they all want to have different cameras to differentiate themselves from the other Android cam- the other Android phone makers. And so the argument was that the iPhone will eventually win out because now computational photography is at play. And the iPhone has two different cameras on the back. Uh, One is more wide and one's more zoomed in. And by using those two cameras, when I take a portrait of somebody, it can have one more zoomed in, one wider to know then the depth. It's getting a three-dimensional look at, at what's in the scene. Whereas you know with a DSLR you get you get one focal length that the sensor gets to see, and so the the interesting thing here is that now by having those two different focal lengths they can imitate a an out of focus background. And I've done quite a bit of testing, you know, with, with it just trying it out at this portrait mode on the iPhone, and I've got to say it's pretty darn good. It's definitely not perfect. You're not going to get, the background isn't going to be as out of focus. And the transition from the sharp part to the out of focus part, it looks a little cheesy. You can tell it's a little bit computer generated. At least a photographer can. A non-photographer isn't going to be able to tell that. Um, But a photographer is going to be able to tell, oh, this is kind of a computer generated out of focus portion. Um, It just doesn't look quite as real because it's not real. But the potential is really incredible, uh, what you could do uh, by having that. Also, we're seeing components in the phone are all, have already dramatically exceeded what we can do in a DSLR, some of those components. For example, um, you know, which, which camera can we buy that does 4K video at 60 frames a second? answer, none of them. Uh, the GH5, I guess, uh, does it, uh, if you're interested in micro four-thirds. But, you know, for a DSLR, for a, you know, a larger sensor uh, camera, none of them. There is no camera that does that. Um, no stills camera. And so, uh, hmm, that's interesting. Yet, the iPhone can do that. Has It can do 4K at 60 frames a second. And so, the problem is, the the processors that we're getting in DSLRs, even at $2,000, $5,000 that we're paying for a stills camera, we're using weaker processors than what's included in an iPhone or an Android uh, phone for that matter. And so uh, because we have a faster processor, you know, it, it becomes immediately obvious in video like in this case. But also it it allows us to do much more computation and figuring things out in the stills photography. Not to mention that, you know, Apple and Google and Samsung have huge, massive teams of the most talented developers out there working on these problems of computational photography and doing different things. And you know what? Nikon that uh, just produced an awesome camera with the D850 uh, but is having serious financial difficulties, they're just not. They're just not putting that kind of R&D investment into the software side of things. And, uh, you know, industry after industry after industry, as we look through what technology has changed, uh, the technology almost always wins out. And so uh, I, you know, do I think that a cell phone is going to even compete with a DSLR in terms of image quality anytime in the next 10 years? No, I, I, I have no delusions about that. I do not think a cell phone is going to either that I'm going to be going out on a serious shoot and I'll be like, I'm bringing that sweet iPhone with me. I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think that's happening in the next 10 years. But honestly, between 10 and 12 years, 10 to 15 years, yeah, I can really see it. Um, I, I can definitely see how the world's most powerful and, and, uh, and, uh, most powerful company and companies with the most money could definitely overtake that, even with smaller sensor sizes. I, I, I could see 10 to 12 years that, that that could definitely become a reality. But already, there are some things that are starting to make to make us wonder about that. And that's another thing that was announced this week with the iPhone 10, which is lighting effects. So what this does is it's, you know, it's taking a three-dimensional look at the scene, semi-3D, right? Because it has two different focal lengths. So it can just kind of tell how far things are away. And um and it uh is analyzing the way that light is falling on different things, and it it you can change the lighting uh as you're as you're taking the picture or after the fact. Uh, and I've got to say, it, it looks pretty impressive. So, you know, imagine we're taking a portrait of a person and they have, you know, a lamp uh, or a light right above them. And it kind of puts this long uh, light right down the center of their face, makes their light, their face look longer. Um, and, and then they showed that you can just flip between different camera modes and, and, uh, and just change the lighting effect. You can make it look like, you know, kind of a Rembrandt light, like an overhead kind of a, a light, a kind of a clamshell light. You could just, and they called them, you know, not that, but, you know, photographers, as you watch the demo, you say, Oh, Rembrandt light, you know, <laughs> uh, as you're, as you're looking through, it was softening the light. Um, I think this is going to be really hard for them to pull off. If the, if the original portrait wasn't shot with fairly neutral light, you know, if you're out in the middle of the day and it just has horrible, really hard shadows coming across the face, I think this is going to be pretty hard to pull off. Um, But if you're shooting with fairly neutral light, uh, it looked actually pretty impressive to being able to do that. Um, And the reason that that really gave me pause and made me wonder uh, where photography is going is because I thought, could i even do that if i wanted to in photoshop if i were to spend an hour on a portrait could i change it and make that clamshell light look like rembrandt light and i thought kind of i mean i could i could definitely i could definitely move things around dodge and burn and and change the way that light looks a little bit but not to that extent. I don't think even if I spent an hour in Photoshop, I could could make it that convincing uh, changing to Rembrandt line. Again, this was a a perfect world scenario demo that they were showing, uh, but it looked pretty impressive. So that's another area where I say, Wow, maybe, maybe we're about to, you know, uh, 10 years plus, maybe we're going to see some dramatic differences in how computational photography overcomes the limits of what just small sensor, you know, one or two focal lengths can do. So uh, I, I just thought it was interesting. You know, what does it change today? I don't know. Probably nothing. But, you know, I just love photography. I'm going to love it my whole life. And I just, I, I thought it was interesting to see how how quickly technology is moving up. I, I didn't really think we could do that just now. Um and, and, and you know, other things as well that we've talked about lots of times like, hey, how come my cell phone has GPS and really awesome Wi-Fi? And when I want it to give it more capabilities, I just download an app like that for the, um, you know, it, it can do so many things. Uh, an LTE connection, I can share right right from it. Uh, it can do so many things that a camera can't do—a serious camera, a DSLR or whatever—just uh, can't do. And frankly, I just don't see any of the camera makers changing that. Um, that the, you know, somebody who's really going after. Computational photography really giving shareability options to our serious cameras. Uh, it's happening at such a slow pace. Not to mention that, uh, look at the screen of your cell phone. It, it's like twice the size of the screen that we get on the back of our DSLR. And, you know, being able to see your picture big while you're out there shooting absolutely will change my compositions and just, uh, you know, my. It's how I see the photo how many times have I gone out and taken a picture brought it back into Lightroom and as soon as I opened up my like ah a little too noisy and I just didn't notice on the little tiny screen that we get on the cameras so I I hope I really hope that we see some camera manufacturers really moving on this and creating professional tools that keep us really ahead of what iPhone toting Joe can do uh, but uh I, I I just thought it was interesting all right the next thing I mentioned from the end from the beginning, I feel like an idiot for doing this. I spend ninety dollars on a computer mouse, so my Apple mouse, my Apple Magic Mouse, finally, uh, finally died this week. Poor Magic Mouse! I've put it through so much work over the last several years, um, but it's just started. It, it like developed a stutter. <laughs> I don't know how to how to else to explain it. And I tried everything trying to fix it replacing batteries, everything. And it just developed a stutter. It just wouldn't flow smoothly anymore, which I thought was really odd. Um, but I knew I needed a new mouse. So I went to Jeff Harmon, who is the, who is our resident, know everything about uh, about computers and tech, stuff like that. And I said, hey, Jeff, what mouse do I want? And he recommended a good mouse. I think it was the Logitech m705 if i remember and so i was ready to buy it i thought yeah, jeff says it's good it's good and uh, so i was ready to buy it but i saw just in a review that it doesn't work on glass and i am uh, changing my desk the desktop anyway. I'm going to put a piece of glass over it because it's a metal desk. It's a cool desk. I love this desk, but it has like metal rivets all over it. And uh, it kind of looks like an airplane wing. It's all a full metal desk. It's kind of cool anyway, but it has, uh, these rivets make it, uh, so you can't really use a mouse right on it. So I'm going to put a piece of glass over it anyway. So I need a mouse that's going to work on glass. And, uh, so I found this, uh, it's again, a Logitech, uh, Logitech. Master 2S Mouse, and it works on glass, um, but it also has some other cool features that I wanted specific for photo editing. So in Lightroom, we, you know, the primary navigation, especially when you're in the development module is a side scrolling action. You know, you're, you're going side to side on this film strip. The same is also true. If you do anything with video, it's a lot of side to side motion. Whereas everything we do on the web is vertical scrolling up and down. So I really do think it's, it's, Very, very nice to have if you're doing anything with photo editing or especially video, that you have a mouse that's capable of side scrolling. And the Magic Mouse can do that. You know, you just swipe to the side on the Magic Mouse and you can go sideways. But there aren't a lot of mice that can do this. Most mice will not have a horizontal scroll. So if that's you, if you're using a a computer mouse for Lightroom or video editing that doesn't have a side scroll... ooh. It, it it's really worth it. Get, get one that can do a side scroll. It, it's a lot nicer and you can fly through things quicker because you don't have to move the mouse down to the little you know, the handle to side scroll every time. You can just scroll on the side. So I definitely wanted that, uh, and this has that. And what I do like is that you can customize how quickly that side scroll moves because for Lightroom, I, I want that to move really, really fast. In fact, I wish the software would let it scroll even faster uh, with that side scrolling function Uh because that's, that's really valuable to be able to flip through my photos in, in Lightroom. It also has several customizable buttons. The one that I like, I customized one to just show the desktop. It just, you know, minimizes all my screens and shows me the desktop right away. Uh, that's very, very handy. And I also customized a button to take a screenshot since I do that really regularly as I'm writing articles on improvedphotography.com. Uh, so I, I really like that. I was kind of cool to be able to do, uh, to add in some functions that I just personally use a lot. But number one feature I'm going to give you an audio clip here. I hope you can hear this. This is I I should not care about this, but I do care about this. Uh, The scroll wheel, the main vertical scroll wheel, I hope you can hear it. Can you hear that it's like all clicky and then you can press a button and now it just scrolls freely. Can you hear that? It's really quiet. It scrolls freely. It's like if you get a roller skate wheel on the bottom of a skate and just it just flips uh, freely so it's cool when you you know, when you're like at the bottom especially on pinterest like where you scroll way down and they actually have a little toggle to go on the top but uh, if you're scrolling uh, up to the top of a long page uh scrolling fatigue right <laughs> uh, but this you could just like it's called hyper scrolling you just give a hard uh, hard scroll up to the top and then it free spins the wheel and you fly up to the top of the page it's neat uh, again total like nerd joy but joy nonetheless. (laughs) I thought it was the coolest thing ever. Uh, And it's really hurt my productivity because I find myself just scrolling that thing (laughs) up and down. (laughs) So that is my doodad of the week completely dumb purchase to spend $90 on a computer mouse. Uh, but you know, if you're at a computer all day and especially if you're doing a lot of video or you're in Lightroom and you need side scrolling, uh, you know, you can get the less expensive, the M705 that Jeff recommended, uh, which looks like a great mouse. Uh, but the, the creme de la creme, especially if you're working on a glass desktop, um, this Logitech Master 2S, MX Master 2S, uh, has been really cool. And it, It really does have functionality specifically for media creators who need side-scrolling. Other people don't really need that very often. Um, So uh, really kind of cool to have. Well, that is it for today's episode of the Improved Photography Podcast. It's just really just taking you through my week and some of the things that I've learned and, and tried out this week. Uh, we'll, we'll go back to a more of a normal uh, format for for next week's episode. Thanks, everybody, for your support of Improved Photography. Uh, love hearing from you and uh, and seeing all the things you're doing in photography. Next week, I'm going to be in southern Utah. I'm going to be shooting with a few members of Improved Photography Plus who signed up to come shoot with me um, on that trip. I, I am hoping to do more of these uh, free trips with Improved Photography Plus members um, where I just go out and shoot. And you, if you're a member, you can come on and shoot with us. Uh, and, and if the seats aren't taken up, then we open it up to the community as well. Uh, but I hope to do more of them um, in the future. I've been a little bit slow with it this week as I've been, or this year, I haven't had nearly as many uh, as I've just been working on really good photo spots has been incredibly time consuming. But uh, now that that project is is really uh, starting to come together, you know, we have very few bugs left in the, in the software. Uh, almost everybody seems to be having a great experience with it. And we're, I'm just seeing so many spots being added. Uh, it's really, really cool to watch. Um, so I'm, I'm very happy with, with how that has gone. And so now I'm kind of looking uh, how I can do more and get out and get, and get shooting with some of you guys. So thanks everybody for your support, and we'll see you in another seven days. <laughs>